It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. Welcome back, everybody. It is another J.C. and Morgan installment, and it is number 166 all-time, if you're scoring at home. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. We're going to take a little bit of a respite from the guest line, and we're going to be uh, action-packed and fast. We're going to get this one in under an hour, and then we're going to have another one for you probably this week uh, with a Georgia guest. We uh, have Hudson Mason lined up, former Georgia quarterback, one of my partners uh, on the SEC Network over the years, and uh, also 680, the fan in Atlanta. Just as we've done with some other teams like Tennessee and Florida, we'll break down Georgia. And Hudson, you know, like us, uh, does a lot of big picture stuff. He's not just all Georgia all the time. So we can talk about some other things when we have him on. But uh, as we sign on here today, JC, lunchtime, essentially, uh, on a Thursday afternoon on June the 23rd, I'm sure your phone uh, buzzed the same time as I did. One of the most, uh, as mine did, one of the most highly anticipated recruits, Arch Manning, has committed. And it might not be who you thought. I think the speculation was Georgia, Alabama were the top two. Am I wrong on that? That's just kind of the the vibe that I had. But maybe you, you definitely follow this closer than I do. Yeah, of course, he's uh, Peyton and Eli's nephew, the son of uh, Cooper Manning, uh, Archie Manning, I think's oldest son. Um, Texas has sort of been one of those schools, Mike, from the outset that you kept hearing, you know, the Arch Manning's very intrigued by Texas. He likes Austin. He likes Steve Sarkeesian, of course, uh, quarterback, guru, quarterback coach. Uh, I think going into the SEC, uh, in a couple of years, it was big because uh, the Manning camp sort of made it clear that uh, the SEC was important. I mean, that's that's a league that everybody in that family's played in, of course, from Ole Miss to Tennessee uh, and now the University of Texas. So uh, I, I think that for a while uh, there was a lot of talk about Alabama. I, I think Georgia, actually, to be honest, Mike, uh, if there's a team out there that's probably upset, it, it's probably Georgia because I think Georgia at various points thought they had Arch Manning uh, or at least led for him. Um, you know, uh, Alabama got a commitment from Eli Holstein out of Louisiana, another quarterback out of Louisiana actually, who, um, you know, was committed to A&M. He's a pretty good player as well. I mean, he, he doesn't take a backseat to anybody. Uh, but he's not number one like Arch Manning. He's not a Manning, but he's a, he's a really good quarterback. So they got one of their guys. Uh, they gladly would have taken both. Uh, but if you're Georgia, you know, I, I think this is one that's kind of uh, – it, it's it's a battle that you've come up a little short in. Um, and, and if there's a team out there that I, I would be a little disappointed <laughs> uh, if I were a fan of, uh, it, it would be the University of Georgia today. But – uh, you know, certainly a big pickup, uh, I think, uh, for Texas. Uh, getting the name quarterback, um, you know, it kind of reminds me, remember Chris Sims? Oh, yeah. Uh, it went back and forth with Tennessee and Texas in his recruitment. Uh, an epic battle between Mac Brown and Philip Fulmer. 
um, back in the day. And that's kind of what this recruitment reminded me of a little bit of the, the, one of the Sims uh, or Chris Sims uh, recruitment. So good job uh, for Texas. Uh, unfortunately, I think if you're the Longhorns, uh, great. You got Arch Manning. He's a very talented player and, and he's a Manning and he can't go along there, but uh, a quarterback's kind of the least of your problems right now, <laughs> yeah. uh, both in the big 12, staying in the big 12 and eventually transitioning to the sec, but man, oh man, uh, what a big day for the Longhorns and um, they're great fans. I know we have a loyal uh, couple of uh, listeners, Mike out there that are big time Longhorn fans mm-hmm. uh, that catch our podcast each and every week. So it's good. Uh, to really uh, talk about some good news for them. And, you know, and I think, look, that transition coming up to the SEC, let's not mince words here. I I think it's going to be difficult. Um, But the more players like Arch Manning you have, the less difficult it's going to be. Uh, And I think the more the the rest of the SEC is sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't want to say put on notice, but uh, as Texas continues to accumulate talent, and this will help their recruiting uh, for the rest of this cycle, um, you know, they're, they're going to bring some players uh, to, to the dance, so to speak. And uh, so if you're the rest of the SEC, you're like, man, oh, man, uh, just, just when we thought, you know, maybe Texas would have to go through a transition. When they get there, they're going to bring a bunch of players, including one Arch Manning, uh, into the league down the road. So what is what is game. Quinn Ewer, what is Quinn Ewers thinking right now? Well, I mean, I don't know. I, yeah, and look, I, I, I think – when you watch when you watch Quinn Ewers play, Mike, you, you, and if you just watch Arch Manning play, and you watch Quinn Ewers play, you're like, well, Ewers is the guy I would take. You know, you, you'd probably think, well, he's the Manning. You know, <laughs> uh, because Arch is is a really good player. He just, you know, it, it's not remarkable. You know, he's not out there. You're not out there going, wow. You know, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. It's it's more about how he operates. Uh, between the ears, how he processes the game, just like his uncles, you know. Um, with Quinn, it's more of wow, look at the the, the angle, he the, the launch angle on his uh, I guess launch angle is the right term for it on his arm. And wow, how did he make that throw? It, it's almost like watching a Mahomes type of quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. Um, and, and so he he Quinn doesn't take a backseat to anybody, I mean, you know, so. This is going to be something that will be interesting because, as you know, uh, especially at schools like Texas, like Oklahoma or wherever, where you are you have a bunch of talented quarterbacks, Ohio State, um, if, if something's not getting done, uh, they're going to go to the bullpen, uh, you know, and the fans are going to call for them to go to the bullpen. And uh, so if you're Quinn, uh, I think it, it's got to be very important to you to go out there and perform at a high level consistently because if you don't, uh, there's going to be a lot of folks in, in burnt orange there at uh, Daryl K. Royal Stadium uh, wanting the Manning to come in. Uh, and I remember shoot, I remember shoot Peyton. Uh, didn't Peyton come in and take over in the middle of his freshman season? For Todd Helton. For Todd Helton, yeah. yeah. So that's, uh, there's Preston there. So it's, uh, yeah, it's I remember be. that. I remember that very well. Look, I think Todd Helton certainly could have been a talented uh quality quarterback at the sec level now obviously it yeah. worked out pretty well on the on the diamond for him but but that was a no-win situation i mean the hype train for peyton for those of us that were around i mean uh i was in, in college then but i even then i remember just covering recruiting and it was it was 
unlike anything I'd seen before. And I know before you and I were old enough to remember, you know, the recruiting of somebody like an Eric Dickerson or it, back then it was running backs, right? It was it, who's going to get the five-star, the can't miss running back. Now it's really more about quarterbacks. I, I don't think people get nearly as excited about five-star running backs because if you're an elite program, seems like you have three of them. Um, but, but quarterback, as we all know, is, is the most unique position. It's the most coveted and it's the hardest to get right in a lot of ways. So thinking back to the hype train on, on Peyton, and that was almost an unwinnable situation, uh, for, for any other, any other quarterback in Knoxville at that time. Well, I wonder if you're, if you're quitting yours again, it's not just that you have another highly touted kid. It's that he's got the last name, last name Manning. Yeah. And, and, and that appeal is so darn strong that, man, you better have some really thick skin because uh, there are going to be some people that before they even see anybody throw a pass, they're going to be convinced like, well, Manning should get the job right away as a true freshman. I mean, he's a Manning, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that's the thing. I mean, like, like I said, Arch is – you know, when you just watch him, it, it's not, you know, he, there's not a whole lot of like, wow, he actually plays the game more like his grandfather. If you go back and, and, and pull up some old Archie Manning film, because he's kind of a scrambler and a, a pretty good runner uh, and things of that nature. Much better uh, athlete than Peyton uh, Eli. Much better right? athlete than Peyton and Eli as far as uh, what he can do with his wheels. But, uh, Man, it's just you, – you, you, you talk about, like – and, and uh, I, I am looking forward to kind of getting Hudson Mason's, uh, Hudson Mason's take on this or any of our other guests about it. You know, you talk about playing quarterback at a high level, and so much, Mike, is about what's between your ears, uh, especially these days. Offenses, you know, we went through that period where everybody was just kind of lining up five wide and chunking it all over the yard. One read and go is pretty easy operationally. Well, defenses is sort of – made some adjustments. And, and so now you have uh, a lot of heavy RPO like Alabama where you uh, so much is on the quarterback to, to, to process at light speed. Um, and I would not bet against uh, Arch Manning <laughs> uh, as far as those types of things go. Um, and, yes, that's kind of how his uncles were. I mean, those, those guys, whoa, were, uh, were very, uh, very good, at, like a micro – computer like a <laughs> processing things at light speed uh, on the football field so like a microprocessor so that's that's what I think in the end of the day as we as we're going to talk about yours versus Manning now for the next three years four years five years uh, I, I think that's going to be something to really keep an eye on is you know if if, if one of them struggles uh, in the mental department and in Sark's offense as we know you know, there's a lot on the quarterback to make the right read, make the RPO. And that was that Baxter, by the way. No, that was uh, Baxter is a much more manly uh, uh, bark. That's <laughs> that's Logan. Logan. Uh, that's uh. my my wife's dog. I guess yeah. by by proxy, it's also my dog. But uh, yeah, Logan just feels the need to to have that high pitched bark in the middle of sentences and other important moments. Because that's just what Logan does. Baxter knows better. Baxter looks at me right now. He says, "Oh, JC and Morgan is recording. I will be nice and quiet because exactly. I'm respectful." Uh, Baxter's a different dog. He's really a person in a in a Boston Terrier's body. Um, you know, you were talking before we we signed on about make no mistake about it. I mean, this is part of the allure of Texas now for this type of recruit is joining the SEC. But you think about it. 
uh, and, and that's certainly true. He's, he's going to say, I played in the SEC by the time he's done, even if he left early. But that's not, not for a couple more years. Now, you know, we've had several guests on that have, we, we've talked about this, including last week with Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South. We've, we talked to a number of national guys and what they feel about this. Um, I'm actually going to be on uh, Sirius XM with Andy Staples uh, next week, and, and I'll pick his brain because he's always good at forecasting this stuff. But it, it, all the talk about Texas joining early, like I even thought for a while ago that that maybe even 2023, well, that would have been perfect for, for Mr. Manning. Um, but that doesn't seem like even a remote possibility at this point. 2024 is a possibility. 2025 might be the odds on favorite that those two teams are, forgive me, Big 12, uh, stuck in the Big 12 for the length of, of their current deal, that there will not be an early buyout. Yeah, and, and you know what I heard was Texas, uh, and this this well, this will come as no shock uh, that Texas is pretty much ready to roll now. Now this is coming from uh, Austin-based media sources or, or media reports uh, from our uh, network twenty four seven Sports, and and from what I read on their site, you know Texas could write a check and say, "All right, see it," you know, and uh, get on to it. Oklahoma isn't so fired up about that and because you know, the there's different money levels i mean we know you, know, you, you we've said how many times have, have you said on the show mike there's money and there's oil money so right. it's right. And, and oil is good and the oil oil the oil business is making bank right now obviously oh yeah i just wanted to fill up my car today for a hundred dollars <laughs> but uh it, it, it you know so they there's a different um level of, of finances there yeah it's probably probably one of the reasons oklahoma is was chomping at the bit to join the sec and has been for a long time is uh you know that that's going to improve their financial outlook and they're not poor i mean they're not a poor school by any stretch it's the university of oklahoma but uh you know so that's kind of the hold up and, and i'm not i, I don't want to get into this whole blame thing where it's like oh, i don't texas would come but oklahoma it's oklahoma holding it up or whatever you know, there's a lot of things holding that up uh, I still feel in my gut like, you know, 2024 will be the, the year uh, just because I can't see them going all the way to 20. I mean, that's, I mean, cause you've got BYU coming into the league uh, and then Cincinnati and, and UCF and those other schools are coming right in as well. Yeah. I mean, so you're going to have like a gigantic league uh, and you're going to force, you know, I mean, I don't know. Uh, but then again, the Southwest Conference, we all remember that breakup. That that uh, They had a uh, a pretty big, uh, you know, swan song year themselves <laughs> back when this happened before in a way. So so maybe that does happen. I, I, I don't know. I just I, – my gut is it, it's probably happening, you know, 2024. Uh, the, the, but, 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 but 2025 is on the table. I mean, the thing that you have to ask yourself if you're the Big 12 – like, what are you truly gaining at that point by holding those two programs? I don't want to be overly dramatic and say hostage, but, 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 you know, by holding them to the letter of the law of the contract, let's put it that way. What are you truly gaining? I, I mean, it's, I keep going back to these analogies. Like it's, it's the gal or guy that just can't move on. And so you, rather than just move on, which 
I think, let me applaud the Big 12 for a second. And I've said this many times. Everybody knows my background as an SEC guy. Uh, but I did do four years of Big 12 football, learned a lot and enjoyed it a lot. Um, and they have great fans and great programs and great facilities. So you're, this is not me poo-pooing the Big 12. That's not that's not what we do here. Like, you know, we just pound our chest going, we're SEC guys and therefore everybody else sucks. That's that's not what this podcast is all about. Um, the, the SEC kind of stands on its own merit. The Big 12, unfortunately, going back to 2012, 2013, when – Texas threatened to go to the Pac-12, and that seemed almost imminent. Um, they had to do everything they could. They had to make concessions just to keep Texas around, and then they had to uh, add TCU in West Virginia, and it was the best thing they could do to just keep that thing afloat. This time around, I think they did the best thing they could do to stay relevant. I think they added the absolute right teams, and they were able to avoid losing any more teams, and they they – I think they're a legitimate power five conference. Uh, so yes, losing Texas and Oklahoma stings. It stings hard. It hurts, man. Uh, there's nobody you're going to get in that league. That's going to match the gravitas of Texas and Oklahoma. But some point in life, you just have to get over it, turn the page and turning the page to me in part would be not holding Texas and Oklahoma, uh, in your league longer than you need to. Because when you add those four teams, as you pointed out, JC, it's actually the perfect scenario. The Big 12 will actually be appropriately named because you'll have 12 teams. You'll have 12 <laughs> institutions in your league. And it'll be it'll be fine. And you can have uh, you know, divisions if you want. I don't know. Have they decided on that? I'm not even sure. In the, big, in the Big 12, I don't know what they've. I don't know what they're going to do yet. yet. They probably don't know what they're going to do yet. But you'll yeah. have the Big 12 championship game. You'll have 12 teams. You'll have some new fan bases. You'll have an injection of enthusiasm, which, quite frankly, the league needed. Uh, so there are some positives about all this when the when the dust completely settles. But um, anyway, the fact that we're still talking about Oklahoma and Texas potentially in the Big 12 in 2024 just seems ridiculous to me. By the way, I, one thing that did, it wasn't much that came out of Destin, as we all know. I think a lot of people were hoping for a steel cage match between Jimbo and Saban, and that was never going to happen. And then the rest of the people hoped for uh, a scheduling model that was going to be decreed as, as final, and that was never going to happen. But what did happen was Greg Sankey did say the league asked Oklahoma and Texas for their input on SEC future scheduling models, either the eight-game model, the nine-game model, the status the status of divisions, which is still very much up in the air. And, and although neither school is allowed to vote on any changes yet, they did already. They're getting input. So they're not treating Texas and Oklahoma uh, in the SEC office in Birmingham as if, well, you're not here yet, so your opinion doesn't matter. They're already saying, hey, we want to know what you think. What would you like? Who should your permanent opponent be? Do you want eight or nine? I mean, it's already like the, the, the groundwork is already there for this transition. So I, th I thought that was the one kind of under the radar thing that came out of it. It was a lot of, it was a lot of um, smoke there, but not a ton of fire. But that, I thought that was an interesting tidbit because I think a lot of people might have assumed, well, they're not in the league yet. So the, what does it matter what they think? No, they're very much involved uh, and a lot of those decisions at this point. Oh, and Texas is not used to people not seeking 
the input of the longhorns. I mean, right. it's, <laughs> it's not, you know, it's like I was reading uh, a God, it was a good piece. I can't remember. Uh, forgive me, whoever wrote this. I think it was in The Athletic. Uh, and it may have been Andy or, or Pete Fess, one of those guys. It was a it was a, a, a oral history kind of thing of uh, the breakup of the um, of the Southwest Conference, and they right, were talking, about, yeah. and it was a really good piece. And then they were mm-hmm. talking about it, and it, it said there was a quote in there. It's like uh, everybody around here complains about Texas. He's like uh, Arkansas at the time that you're going to the SEC. Well, you're about to go to a league where there's six Texases, <laughs> right? And and that's that's an interesting dynamic too. I mean, you you do have these schools. You know, it's almost like if North Carolina left the ACC for the SEC or, or, or the Big Ten or someplace like that, or Ohio State left the Big Ten for someplace else. You know, Texas is kind of used to being, you know, the, the flagship school in the in the conference. And Oklahoma's kind of their, uh, you know, their, their buddy, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they kind of gang up on everybody else. I, that's not going to fly in the Southeastern Conference. I mean, because you've got – You've got a bunch of schools that are just, you know, they're boosters and then and their people are, you know, just as uh, used to getting their way. Um, I think what people are going to come to understand, though, is that, you know, Texas and, and that fan base is just so massive. And just the numbers uh, that these guys are going to bring to the table, uh, as A&M did in a more quieter uh, type of way, uh, and and if you're a and M, you're probably like, oh god, here come these guys again. <laughs> we can't shake these guys. So, um, so that's an interesting dynamic. But I, I did catch that, and uh, and look, you know, I, I think that with those two new schools, Mike, there are some things to kind of figure out because, you know, I kind of went into the, you know, covering the or, or, or following the news from Destin, thinking, well, they're going to go ahead and approve the nine game. Schedule. It's a no-brainer. That's usually kind of what a lot of schools want to do anyway and and all that. But I was surprised that the momentum, uh, eight schools apparently out of the 14 want to stay at eight. And stop it in their tracks. Yeah, that that was the coaches' vote. That's coaches. Um, But, and, and, you know, it's kind of interesting when you you look at the the school that's leading that charge is Kentucky. <laughs> and uh, you know, Kentucky's got a little clout, you know, I guess. And then I think uh not I mean football probably not, but you know, that's a big athletic department. And, you know, why shouldn't why shouldn't Kentucky want to stay at eight? Because they got Louisville and two for they, they have a formula up there, Mike. They got Louisville, three cupcakes every year. You look at the schedules down the road, uh, and almost without exception, every other school is uh, scheduling creatively. They're either doing home and homes with uh, other power fives. Uh, you know, Georgia one year has, I think, Florida State and Clemson in the non-conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alabama's got – Alabama opens with Ohio State and Notre Dame, I think, in 2031, back-to-back. Um, and, and you know, even Missouri, like, is going – and they've they got, like, random trips to Mac schools and Mountain West schools and stuff like that. Not Kentucky. <laughs> it's an FCS team. It's probably it's two MAC teams or FCS Sunbelt MAC team at Louisville, and that's it. They aren't scared. They're the the only team in the league that says, "Okay, we're just going to three cupcakes in Louisville." That's our that's our formula. That's what we're going to do, and and hey, it's work, working for them better than at any point in their history. So uh, I get it. Uh, I get it. But um, 
you know, but I, I was kind of surprised because I, I thought, yeah, you know, coaches are going to say one thing, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it, nine games is probably inevitable. Uh, but I was kind of surprised that that, that, that that like the legit momentum uh, for that eight game model. And I, I, I think it's, it's, it's very fascinating to kind of look and see how it's going to work out. And Texas and Oklahoma, the reason I said that is because, all right, so you're Texas. Certainly you want to play Arkansas every year. Certainly you want to play a every year, but you have to play Oklahoma every year. Um, that's, that's one of those TV games. The league's not going to, that, that's, that's part of the point of getting them in the league is to have that game. And so if it's a one seven model, you're not playing AM every single season. You're playing them every other season. So uh that that's what's kind of interesting about all that when it comes to the new schools and that model and all that stuff. I, I think it's a twofold resistance. Uh well, that's not even the right term. It, it's two different camps of resistance. That's what I mean to say. You brought up Kentucky. Do you, do we know how Shane Beamer voted on this, by the way? You being close to that situation. Because I saw an interview with Shane, and he and it led me to believe he wasn't for nine. I could have misread that in, entirely. Well, in South Carolina's situation specifically, they've got starting in 2025, they've got they, – because they play in the Chick-fil-A kickoff against Virginia Tech in 2025. They got a home and home with Miami after that. They got North Carolina, they got NC State, they've got Virginia Tech home and home, and then plus the, the annual game with Clemson. I think he, because of where they recruit, uh, because South Carolina recruits more north-south, uh, they go, they're now going into Virginia and New Jersey and places like that. I think he sort of likes playing the ACC, uh, the non-Clemson ACC schools. Uh, and I, so I, th- I think they probably did vote, uh, and I, did, I, I hate to say I have not confirmed that, but just based on kind of word around the campfire, uh, I think South Carolina was one of the eight that voted uh, against going to nine yeah. that would like to stay there. And I didn't mean to put you on the spot like that. I just I saw oh, no, no. Shane, and I got the vibe. Because because every everybody in the media wants nine, right? I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, so so it was a very leading question. Like It was almost like he, the, the person that asked the question might as well have said, well, Shane, clearly it makes sense to go to nine. So that's how you voted, right? And Shane was like, well. <laughs> and, and so, again, two camps. What do I always say? Coaches, one of the coaches, number one things. What are those four words, JC? Path of least resistance, my Path friend. Path <laughs> of least resistance. So if I'm scheduling difficult Power 5 non-con games, do I really need that extra SEC game to damage my record and make me pull out my hair each and every week? Or do I just stay with eight, get more creative, get fresh matchups in those four non-cons? And yes, I have at least one or two cupcakes because everybody does. And Big Ten fans, I like to point out every time Alabama plays Western Carolina, take a look at the Big Ten schedules in the month of September and don't tell me (laughs) that you don't play any cupcakes. With all oh, due wow. respect to the Mac and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you've got that one camp, the path of least resistance camp. And then you've got the other camp, the, the Nick Sabans and maybe Jimbo and, and uh, Kirby that can kind of pound their chest and say, well, we're not afraid of I don't want path of least resistance. Take a look at my contract. I ain't getting fired anytime soon. And we're winning 10 games plus a year. And all that's legit. What, so their, their concern is something different. They want to schedule 
not just power five non-cons. I mean, they want to go with premier top 10 type matchups early in the year at a conference. And in order to do that, it's a little easier knowing that there's going to be eight instead of nine. And here's the other thing we've talked about on this podcast. It is a true domino effect. You need to know if and when the playoff is going to expand before you just sign off on something that is pretty significant going from eight to nine SEC games. So until we know the playoff status, had that been done, had Greg Sankey gotten his way, and it would have been better for college football in my estimation if he had, and we had a 12-team playoff to look forward to, I think, I think it would have been almost universal. We, we would have gone to nine. I think this thing already would have been in the bag. But, but because the alliance uh, of those three leagues just wanted to stick it to the SEC uh, and kind of pump the brakes and let you know, hey, we, you don't run everything around here. We're going to have a say in things. So, no, we, we, we're not going – we're not voting on uh, yay on 12. Because of that, that is, the, that is the biggest determinant of the fact that we might not get nine as immediately as people want to have it. I think eventually we do get there, but I don't know if it's in the next couple of years. I think, I think it's going to be a lot of status quo here, which includes Texas and Oklahoma hanging around the Big 12 for another year or two and eight hanging around for another year or two. And, of course, we all know the college football playoff can't happen for at least another couple of years, uh, the, the expansion that is. So uh, that, that was my just kind of takeaway from, uh, from all that stuff because I still get people say, how in the world could anybody be in favor of eight instead of nine? College football fans want nine. Yes, college football fans want nine. Media members want nine. Uh, there are a few coaches that want nine. The whole notion that nine makes more money for the SEC's TV deal, that's not correct. That's one of those fallacies that's thrown out there. That, that, that contract, the ink is dried. So you're not getting, you're not getting like all of a sudden now uh, ESPN and CBS have to kick in an extra hundred million because you went from eight to nine. that. No, that's not the case. It's not accurate. So um, all those things that uh, the, the, the people want, it, it's not about that. I hate to say it to a, a common uh, phrase that I have for a lot of people these days in, in, in athletics. It's not about you. It's, it's not about you. It's about, it, it, it's about it, everybody's trying to survive. The SEC is going to be, it's already a gauntlet. It's going to be so brutal when you add Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, I don't think we can truly appreciate that until the schedules come out with Texas and Oklahoma on it. And you yeah. look at the, you look online at like the standings, you're like, holy bleep, this is what we're up against. <laughs> this is how we're trying to win an hey. SEC championship. My God. And I know we even comes close. And you look at it too. I mean, if they, if even if they do stay at eight, like, um, it, it's going to get kind of wild because you're, you're basically, I mean, there's a few uh, maybes in there, like uh, so. Will South Carolina play Missouri, and then they kind of try to unhook the the fabricated border war rival with <laughs> Arkansas, uh, or will you know Missouri and Arkansas continue to play, and, and, and that basically leaves South Carolina with Kentucky, uh, and then because they're going to play the Egg Bowl, they're going to play the Iron Bowl, they're going to play Georgia, Florida, they're going to play Texas, Oklahoma. 
they're going to play. You know, you got to whittle it all down. You can even get down to LSU and A&M will probably play every year uh, as they play on Thanksgiving, you know. And then you're rotating seven. So you're going to have like a a completely different schedule every single season. There's not a lot of, uh, you know, year-to-year kind of deals like we're used to. You know, you're just going to go and say, well, and a lot of it's going to, I mean, in this league, we already discussed the, you know, what out of things, uh, the luck of the draw, so to speak. Well, this year, the seven teams we happen to have on our schedule just weren't all that good. <laughs> and, and you're going to have some team that shows up that, you know, gets to Atlanta that's that's kind of a, a result of, you know, how the schedule rotated. Because if you because then you look at the next year, uh, their draw the following year, and you said, well, if they had played these seven teams, you know, they'd be four and three instead of seven and oh. And it, right. it, that's going to get really wild, I think, that, that uh, you know, flipping it around every single season. Uh, I think, and I kind of like it. I think that scheduling sometimes has gotten stale. Uh, you know, you're going on 30 years since they expanded and, and into two divisions and all that. Uh, I think maybe it's time for kind of a fun shakeup like that. But that that's going to get wild because you, I guarantee you, you're going to have a team that just so happened the seven teams that rotate on are all down at the same time, and, and everybody's going right. to be screaming like how they're not that good. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, there's it, there's there's not many things that everybody can agree on in, in this day and age, but I think everybody agrees they're ready for a change in the scheduling. Yeah. In one form or another, just any, anything, even if it stays at eight, there's certainly ways you can uh, alter it, be more creative with it, and I think that's certainly on the horizon. Um, again, with this we're going to go short today. The, the Arch Manning news, one of the things we wanted to address, I, I will say, one other thing on the NIL front, we talked about that John Ruiz story. The uh, if you read his, he's a, he's an, a lawyer and a huge Miami fan. I don't, I can't remember if he's a Miami grad or not. It doesn't matter. I mean, he's clearly he's all about hurricanes and uh, and and made his his billions on various class action lawsuits and whatnot. So he's got money to burn. And in the NCAA finally said, you know, maybe we ought to do something here. And they actually took a visit to, to visit the mega booster that is John Ruiz as part of an NCAA inquiry into NIL practices. And basically the attorney said, hey, you know, it's all good here. This is not pay for play. You know, I'm, uh, I'm just giving some, uh, you know, giving some poor young downtrodden young men, uh, some opportunities to cash in on their name image likeness. And I have to laugh. And we've talked about this for years now. Have you been following this story, the, the live golf? uh, Yes. Branch, whatever you want to call it. Uh, They are what's going on right now. uh, For those that don't know, that aren't huge golf fans. And I'm not a huge, I'm a casual golf fan. I watch the four majors every year and I get into that. But other than that, I'm not one of these people that sits and watches the golf channel for eight hours a day. I have no interest. Um, but what's happening is very significant there. They are literally taking some of the top golfers on the PGA tour, offering them I mean, golfers already do really, really well. I mean, if you want a a, a nice life, 
be a professional golfer. Because even if you're not winning tournaments, you're still making a lot of money. But they're taking these guys and they're approaching them. I mean, Kepka was the latest big name. Everybody knows about Phil Mickelson. And they're saying, basically, whatever you're making now on the so-called premier uh, tour, which the PGA Tour has always been, we're going we're gonna to give you an, an exponentially better amount of money. And we're going to play 54 holes instead of 72. It's almost going to be like an exhibition type of field. Go out there, have fun, swing the sticks. You win, you win. If you lose, you lose. But either way, you're going to have more money than you've ever seen in your life and more money than you ever would have made, even if you were a consistent winner on the PGA Tour. And so a lot of these golfers, do you think they want to play for a Saudi-run golf tournament that maybe none of us are going to care about? Um, not necessarily, but money talks like in every other walk of life. And I couldn't help but think of the analogy I've been making on NIL, which initially the, the Pollyannish uh, description of NIL was young men just cashing in on their name, image, and likeness, true supply and demand economics, true return on investment, right? I mean, clearly the 17-year-old uh, the high school kid that is going to be given seven figures before he ever takes a down in college football. Truly, you're going to get that money back on name, image. No, you're not. Of course not. It's, you're not doing that because you expect a return on investment. That's what's going on with the live tour. They don't <laughs> care that they're going to get There's Saudis and they got, they got all of this oil money and there's Texas oil money. And then there's Saudi oil money. They have all this money to just give away and they're throwing it out there and it, they're not going to get the TV ratings and advertisers that are going to make that money back in return. But to them, it doesn't matter. So it's not about return on investment. It is kind of artificial demand in a way. And as I'm watching that story unfold and I understand the economics and the who and the why, I couldn't help but think of NIL on a much smaller scale. Uh, for the, the, it's, how many people, even guests that we had that I respect said, well, look, I think people are really overestimating what these kids are going to get on the open market. Like people were thinking that they're just going to get six figures, but they're not. And there'd be like a handful of guys that'll get that kind of money. Well, that was wrong. There are a ton of kids getting a lot of money that aren't even established products. And certainly they're not going to sell enough T-shirts uh, or car remotes to make up for that money. But it doesn't matter. Because the people that want to be good in college football, just like we go back to the Southwest Conference days of SMU and Trans Ams showing up in Eric Dickerson's backyard, it ain't about, hey, don't worry, you'll get me back for that, that money, right? No, it's, I got money. Don't worry about paying me back. You go get that five-star kid and we'll figure it out when we figure it out. I couldn't help but, but think that uh, and, and look at an analogy there and see some of the same things that we're seeing golfers and why they're going where they're going and why the people that are paying just don't really care if they get the return on investment for them. It's worth the money. Yeah. They got to be, you know, in it to win it and that kind of thing. I, I do think that, you know, there's sort of a needle. You, you have to thread the needle a little bit in football. Uh, I think basketball uh, and here's just a, for, for those of you out there with deep pockets that, 
Uh, I know this is a football podcast primarily, but if you care about your school competing in men's college basketball, you need to go uh, get your buddies together and uh, uh, and raise some cash <laughs> because that's a straight up free for all basketball, college basketball right now. And, and it's in the return on the investment, Mike, for these guys or these businesses or whatever is not. Yeah, you're right. It's not that, oh, I need to sell a couple of cars this week uh, or this month to, to uh you know, feed my family or whatever. And, and, and so I'm going to get this player to go help me do it. And uh, I really think I'll get a big return. No, it, it, the return is your school is winning and competing at the highest level. Okay. In basketball, you can go out and do that and, and put a team together uh, like blue chips. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and I think it, it can pay instant dividends and you can do that every single year in that sport. In my opinion, I think football is a little bit more difficult because there's a, a lot, a lot more risk involved, you know, in terms of, of players who have not done much. Now the Jordan Addison situation, uh, the kids of Bolitnikoff winner, uh, of course he's worth whatever USC, NIL gave him to go out there and play for the Trojans, I, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Some of these guys right now in, in this current recruiting class uh, are probably going to have um, a big smack of reality <laughs> with uh, some of the crazy stuff I've heard. Uh, they're demanding because there's there's no – people are like, well, the market will adjust, take care of itself. Yeah, well, there's no, there's just – there's no history of the market right now. It's all new. Uh, so these guys think that they're, you know, signing NFL contracts. And then it, it, it's, I promise you, they're not. There's six, they're, there's six players, uh, all of equal upside and ability, um, you know, and, and I'm not talking about like, oh, well, this, I'm not trying to say there's a, like a three-star kid out there that's, <coughs> excuse me, similar to a five-star guy, because that's not true. That would be intellectually dishonest of me. But like, your lower four-star, higher three-star guys, right? You're 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 good, not great yet. Uh, you know these guys are going to separate from the pack, whatever type of players. You, you have half of them that are just happy with the scholarship. You have another half that want like six-figure deals, and then you have the real lunatics who like think that they're going to sign for a million dollars. Now you tell me, Mike, if, if there's no difference between these six players. Uh, if you're a coach uh, or even a collective, which one do you want your school to sign? The guy that's going to walk in the door and demand seven figures right away? Uh, or the kid that's just happy for the scholarship and wants to come and work hard and maximize his talent? And then who's going to be the better player? Who's going to help you win? So that's that's the interesting dynamic with football right now. Is there's so many different players and, and there's so many different ideas of value uh, out there right now that I think it's um, – uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Now, in college baseball, uh, almost all the NIL uh, talk ha- has been in the transfer portal. And, and I think this is interesting too, Mike, because a lot of these guys uh, already have agents because they're, they're going to go pro ball anyway uh, eventually, and you're allowed to do that now. And a lot of the value and the numbers that I've heard on that sport uh, out of the transfer portal, it, it's legit. They're not asking for, you know, the all the higher end guys maybe won't, you know, get a deal for like seventy five grand, something like that, which I think is fair. I've been told you know? there's a couple of, of prominent baseball yeah. transfers that the the starting bid is six figures. Believe yeah. it or not, and what some people consider a non revenue sport, 
Again, yeah. there's non-revenue, and then there's your premier women's basketball program that loses $5 million. Baseball programs don't lose $5 million because they don't travel first class. They don't do – so it's a different deal. But I think people might be surprised on what some baseball programs are now going to be willing to spend to poach players from one program to another without yeah. naming names. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and, that, that, and you know, that sport – everybody sort of knows everybody anyway, you know, and it's, uh, uh-huh. it's interesting. And then, and, and there's commitment, there's different levels of commitment in that sport too, across the sure. country. Absolutely. It largely Absolutely. depends on like what region you're in, you know, uh, and all that though, in recent years, Notre Dame and Michigan have, have both had pretty good baseball, but you know, I, you and I, you know, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, you and I both know this. There are parts of the Southeast yeah. where baseball trumps basketball in popularity. Yes. Now, as I always point out, <laughs> a lot of that has to do with how successful or lack thereof your basketball program is, right? Yeah. So if you stuck out loud in basketball, it's real easy to say, well, I just can't wait till baseball. Well, if you guys were going to Final Fours or even NCAA tournaments, you'd probably be a little more jacked up about the college basketball season. So it's kind of really easy to just gravitate toward the sport you're good at. We see that in women's basketball. We see that in softball. Uh, you know, some schools that might be lacrosse for crying out loud. Did yeah. you grow up a lacrosse fan as a kid? No, but we're playing for the awesome championship. I okay. love lacrosse. Yeah, I love lacrosse all of a sudden. <laughs> But, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I hate to sound like a cliche. It just means more. It's just different. But for a lot of SEC baseball programs, it is just different. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, look at the College World yeah. Series, too. I mean, yeah. uh, the, 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 two, the two teams that are coming to the league uh, were in. That would have made it six out of eight. Six out that of eight. made it six out of eight. Plus Notre Dame, who, which I think, by the way, anybody – that wants to hire a baseball coach at, at a big time program. That'll be more link, link Jarrett. Yeah. That's that guy's a, that guy's a heck of a coach, but um, you, you got, uh, and then, and then I guess Stanford was the other one that, that snuck in and that it was, it's amazing. And then, you know, you think about softball too, you know, Oklahoma is, is really good at softball. And then they're coming in and the sec is already one of the best, uh, best conferences in that sport. But Lovely. yeah. You're right. And, and, and back to the NIL thing, though, I, I, I do think that's interesting. I did think that, you know, for a non-revenue sport, like you said, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty interesting, uh, interesting financial commitment uh, from some of these programs that care. But, uh, heck, they, they care. I mean, it's um, uh, it, it, and it's out there. And, and with the transfer portal in that sport, too. It's just like adding to your lineup and free agency, you know, uh, if you're a major leaguer. So I, 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 I dig it in that sport well, too. And that, and it's kind of been a, the things I've heard out of baseball make make a lot more sense to me, Mike, than than maybe some of the things I've heard from some of the other sports. Well, yeah, you got to be a proven commodity in baseball, yeah. unlike yeah. football and even basketball. They're more they're going to be more willing to roll the dice. There's more money out there, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. I'll, I'll just put a bow on it by saying this, and, and we'll certainly get into this, I think with Hudson, our, our guest in the next couple of days, because I, I mean, George is considered one of those programs. You've got Atlanta, a, a short drive away, a top 10 market uh, that you can, uh, there, there's a lot of money to be had 
not just Joe Booster money, but maybe even corporate money that you could start throwing into collective coffers. Um, but we'll see how that affects what has been a program that's consistently been outstanding in recruiting under Kirby for a while now. Um, but I'll just put a bow on, on the all the NIL talk by saying this. The, the number one thing that coaches are stressed about, upset about, frustrated about, puzzled about, it's not NIL. It's the portal. Yeah. The portal is a disaster in terms of the way it's being run. Mm. And, and, and the people that were fighting for this kind of wild, wild West, let just let it, again, it's what you and I always talk about, JC. These are the people that don't really care about the health of college athletics. Mm. They, they just, they want, they come at everything uh, from the student athlete is a victim and therefore, let's just do this, 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 and let everybody else clean up the mess. That's that's the way they look at things. That is a mess. I think I think NIL and time can be can be operated properly to where it's not a hindrance on the uh, the overall health of the sport and and the and the competitive balance of the sport. Any more? So, I mean, I say competitive balance. We all know this is not. This is not uh, the NFL, which strives for parity and gives the last place teams the number one pick in the draft. Like that's not the way it works. And the college programs that have always been good are going to continue to be good. The ones that have struggled throughout the history of a hundred plus years, you're probably going to struggle for another hundred plus years with NIL without it. But the portal is just, it's an absolute, you know, what storm. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 somebody has to clean up the mess now. And uh, hopefully that'll be done soon. JC, this was fun. Really enjoyed uh, getting one in uh, here during the week. And uh, again, we'll get, we'll get back to being uh, guest heavy. Hudson Mason will join us on the next one. And we'll talk some, uh, some Georgia ball among uh, other topics as well. JC, have a great rest of the week, my friend. Hey, thanks, Mike. Enjoyed it. Uh, looking forward to uh, getting up next time. You got it. For JC, Mike saying so long. We'll see you next time.